0: Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number 1 New York Times best-selling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad-free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com/nocturnal. Chapter 71. Amy Zhao's Tea Time Chief Amy Zhao took a sip of tea. The tiny porcelain Miss Piggy Cup held only imaginary tea, of course, but nothing could taste sweeter. Hmm, she said. This is very good. Which one of you made this? Her twin girls giggled. We both made it, Mom, they said in unison. It spooked the hell out of Amy when they did that. She sat in a little pink chair at a little pink table. Her daughter, Murr, sat on her left, her daughter, Tabs, on her right, and her husband, Jack, in front of her. He also sipped at a tiny teacup, his pinky properly extended, a pink flower hat pinned to his thinning blonde hair. The girls wanted him to wear it, so wear it he did. Mmm, Jack said. I do believe this is Possum Guts tea. Tastes delightfully rotted and smells divinely stinky. The girls giggled. They looked adorable in their little party dresses. Amy felt at peace. Almost at peace. She didn't get many moments like this. And even when she did, an internal voice taunted her. Said, These days are almost gone, and you've pissed most of them away. With her job, she could never fully relax. And that job was never far away. Her cell phone sat on the tabletop, looking horribly out of place so close to teacups and the Kermit the Frog teapot. Tabitha reached for an imaginary piece of cake. murr didn't like the imaginary cake. She had said as much after the first imaginary bite. Tabitha preferred to be called Tabs because, as she put it, it was funner. Mary demanded to be addressed only as murr for reasons Amy and Jack had never been able to pry out of the girl. Jack looked at the girls with a narrow-eyed glare of suspicion. Wait just a cotton-picking minute. Did you two spike this tea with runny elephant poop? The girls squealed with laughter, throwing their heads back and rocking in their chairs. No, Daddy, Tab said. It's not elephant poop. It's monkey poop. Jack set his cup down with comedic rage, then crossed his arms and sat back, shaking his head hard enough to make the pink flower hat wiggle. God, but the girls loved that man. Amy realized with a start that Tabs was wearing her heavy, silky black hair and long pigtails. She had never worn her hair like that before. She'd always worn it down, like murr's was now. They had inherited Amy's hair, not a trace of her husband's thin blonde locks. Tabitha, honey, your hair looks nice. Thank you, she said and took a sip. Did you try that hairstyle out today just for the tea party? Murr laughed and pointed at Tab's. Ha, 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 you've been wearing those stupid things for three days. Tab sank into her chair, little chin tied to her chest. She looked crestfallen. Murr, Jack said. That's not nice. Murr didn't catch the hint. Mommy didn't even notice, she said to Tabs. I told you it was stupid to try and be different. Amy slapped the table, rattling the cups in their saucers. Murr, you stop that. Murr's eyes widened. She shrank into her chair. Amy's tone echoed in her own ears. She'd talked to Murr not like a mother to a daughter, but like the chief of police to a subordinate. Amy hated herself at that moment. Couldn't she put the cop away and just be a mom, even for a few minutes? Tabs suddenly stood and threw her teacup across the room. It landed noiselessly on her bed. You didn't notice, Mom, because you're never home. Tabs ran from the room, her little dress swishing with each little step. Jack stood. He took off his flower hat and tossed it on the table as he followed Tabs out. Jack would talk to the girl, leaving Amy to deal with Mur. Mary, honey, I shouldn't have yelled like that. The little girl's eyes narrowed hatefully, as only a little girl's can do. Don't call me that. I like myrrh. And why did she have to go and ruin the party? We never get to see you. Honey, I know. But you have to understand that Mommy's job is... Amy's phone let out a tone. A special tone. Three dots. Three dashes. Three dots. S.O.S. That tone represented only one person. She picked up the phone. He had texted her a picture. High angle, looking down onto a marble porch she recognized on sight and would never forget. The picture showed two men waiting in front of a closed door. Pookie Chang and Brian Clouser. The text beneath the picture said, they also stopped by Alder's place. Take care of this. Amy felt her temper rising. She had told them to keep away. She had given them a chance. Even before the Boyco murders, Robertson had wanted to bring Brian and Pookie into the loop, wanted to tell them everything. Amy had said no, trusting her instincts that the men weren't the kind of people who could properly manage the gray areas. The picture Erickson had texted showed quite clearly, that her instincts had been dead on. Brian and Pookie were by far the best inspectors on the force, but they just wouldn't listen. Just like another cop almost thirty years ago, right, Amy? Remember how you wouldn't listen when Parkmire told you to back off? Remember what happened because you didn't? She became aware she was alone in the room. Murr had left. Amy looked at the tea set. At the empty chairs, she was missing her daughter's childhoods. They had been born only yesterday, it seemed. When had they grown so big? She wanted to be with them, but she had a job more important than anyone could ever know. Not even Jack knew all of it. Amy stood, gave the table one last longing look, then headed downstairs. Time to put an end to this. Chapter 72 Closing in, Rex sat in a plastic garbage can. Rex waited. Rex watched. Where had this sensation been all his life? How many hours had he wasted drawing pictures when the real thing made him feel alive, made him feel complete? His tummy tingled inside. His boner had been hard for hours. The garbage can was across the street from April Sanchez's house. It was one of those big brown kind, wedged into a space between two houses along with the blue recycling kind and the green one people were supposed to use for compost. The garbage can smelled, but Rex didn't care. There had only been one bag inside, which he'd moved to another can. Squatting inside, he could peek out just under the lid and watch for April. April the meth head. April the slut. She had rich parents. They didn't own part of a house. Not just a single floor. They owned the whole thing. All three stories and a garage. The kids in school talked about April behind her back. Talked about how ugly she was. They called her Shrek. She wasn't fat like Shrek. Most druggie girls weren't. But her face bore a passing resemblance. April had been the one who told Alex about Rex's drawing. It was her fault Alex broke his arm. The cops had to be looking for Alex, and here he was with a perfect place to hide. Last night, Rex had followed Alex here. Since then, he hadn't seen anyone but April enter or leave. She fetched pizza, bags of groceries, probably whatever Alex wanted. Darkness was falling, but even then Rex would wait. Marco had said not to move before midnight. Rex hadn't listened to Marco, and now Marco was dead because of it. Rex had learned a valuable lesson from that. Some things needed to be done in the dark. Marco had also told Rex that there was a real family out there somewhere, a real home. But without Marco, how was Rex going to find it? He didn't want to be alone. His dreams had reached out and connected with people, made them do the things he wanted done. Rex wondered, could he do the same thing when he was awake? It was worth a try. And anyway, it was a long time until midnight, and he had nothing else to do. How could this work? Did he, what, throw his thoughts? Maybe if he just focused, really concentrated on his need to find these people. Rex closed his eyes. He took a long, deep breath. Find me. Find me. Chapter 73, The Stakeout Brian walked around the block for the sixth time. West on Jackson, south on Goff, east on Washington, north on Franklin. Then reverse, go back the other way. A slow walk, looking all around at everything, looking for places to hide. There were eight and ten-story apartment buildings on the other side of Franklin Street. He could go up on those roofs and watch the front of Erickson's house. But big apartment buildings meant a lot of windows, and that meant any number of people could be looking out those windows at any hour of the night. If the archer wanted to enter or exit the big gray Victorian, he wouldn't go out the front where so many people could potentially see. He'd have an exit behind the house, or maybe out on the roof and down the side, something hidden. Brian used his phone to call up a satellite map of the house and the block. The top-down view might give him ideas. Erickson's house had a backyard, a pretty big one by San Francisco standards. Tall buildings surrounded that backyard, hiding it from view. Could he get up on one of those buildings? He flicked his fingers on the screen, zooming in on the map. There, on Jackson Street, a tree that looked taller than the building it was next to. He traced the root with his fingertip. If he could scale that tree, he'd be on the roof of a building that abutted Erickson's backyard. Brian would be four stories up, giving him a perfect view of the rear of Erickson's mansion. He nodded. Yes, that was the spot. He couldn't shake a persistent adrenaline buzz. This guy, this savior, he was a real challenge. Big game. He's big game because he's a killer. That flips all your switches and turns all your dials to eleven. Brian walked to Jackson Street to check his target. He slowly walked past his tree, following the trunk up with his eyes, seeing how he'd climb it to reach that roof. It wasn't dark enough yet, but soon he'd circle back, climb to the roof, and set up his hunting blind. Then the fun would begin. Chapter 74 TARD High up on an apartment building across the street from the mansion. A very still, very quiet person watched the man in black circle the block again. The man was checking out the monster's house. Tard just knew it. How exciting. Tard watched the monster's house every night. Aside from regular bursts of sheer terror when the monster left, or sadness when the monster came back with one of Tard's badly wounded brothers or sisters, nothing interesting ever happened. But this was interesting. Who was this person? What did he want with the monster's house? Tard watched the man in black turn left on Jackson and vanish from sight. Would he be back again? Tard hoped so. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 75. The Delivery Boy. Pookie showered, hoping the hot water and rough scrubbing might somehow take the edge off his lack of sleep. A nice 30-minute shower, the perfect way to finally get a little alone time. Delivery Kung Pao Shrimp was on the way. Some food, a 20-minute power nap, and he'd be right as rain. Sure, as if he could ever be right again. Mutants, vigilantes, and murderers. Oh, my. Add in Brian playing fast and loose with sanity. And Pookie considered his dance card quite full, thank you very much. Brian did seem better, though. Following the clues from BizNass to the Jessups to Erickson's house had given the guy direction and purpose. No longer were they just reacting to a batch of random dreams. Now they had a target. Even though this wasn't an official investigation, they would still use the process and tactics they'd use in any other case. What would they do when they found evidence they could actually use? Were judges in on this? Was the DA? Maybe. But maybe the assistant D.A. wasn't in on the loop, just like Robin hadn't been in on it. Pookie would have no choice but to arrange a meeting to make sure of that. Well, well, well. Miss Jennifer Wills from the land of sexy shoes and short skirts. Maybe you and I will be spending some time together after all. With our clothes on, sadly. But the journey of a thousand Changbangs begins with a single coffee. Pookie stepped out of the shower and toweled off. He would make some calls and put Robin and Mr. Burns to work, mow down on the Kung Pao, then promptly take a nap. Nap, shower, and food, the magical trifecta that could right all wrongs. He tucked the towel around his waist, then found his cell phone and dialed Robin. She answered immediately. Pooks, you guys okay? We're fine, he said. You know, just doing the police work thing. How about you? Good news and bad, she said. The good news is I went to work this morning like normal, and no one said a peep. Metz wasn't there. I got an email from the mayor saying I was expected to carry on as before. At least Robin wasn't fired. That was something. That's great! So were you able to get any more info from the bodies? That's the bad news, she said. Seems there was a little clerical error at the morgue. The bodies of Blackbeard, Oscar Woody, and Jay Perlar were cremated this afternoon. All their personal effects are gone as well, including Blackbeard's phone. Pookie's heart sank. Metz had deleted the computer records, and now all physical evidence was also gone for good. Two positives, though, Robin said. Metz apparently didn't call the rap scan people to tell them I'm persona non grata. I snuck one of the portable DNA analyzers out of the morgue. If you find any other likely candidates, we can use the machine to test for the Z chromosome. Ah, that Robin. Such a clever girl. How long will we have that gadget? Don't know, she said. Metz and I were the only ones to use them so far. When he returns, I'll have to sneak it back in. We probably have it for as long as he's out. Pookie's phone chirped with the theme music from The Simpsons, like Mr. Burns calling. Robin, I gotta go. Great job, but there's nothing else you can do right now. Lie low and don't make waves. Got it, she said. Take care of Brian for me. Will do. He switched to the other line. Black Mr. Burns, tell me you have more info on Erickson. Do I ever, John said. Jebediah Erickson has a criminal record that you're just going to love. And in case you couldn't tell by his real estate holdings, he's loaded. Old Jeb is actually Jeb Jr., between cash, holdings, the Jessops place, and the house on Franklin, Jeb Sr. left his boy around 20 million bucks. Rich kid with a criminal record? What did he do, steal monogram towels from the country club? Slightly better, John said. Fourteen allegations of assault and three of resisting arrest. But here's our trump card. He was charged and acquitted of one murder, convicted of another. Take a wild guess what the murder weapon was. Pookie tried to calm the surge of excitement. A gold medal for archery was one thing. A murder conviction was another. I'll take what is an arrow for 200 Alex. Nicely done, John said. And now for our bonus round, where the stakes really add up. The arrow thing wasn't in Erickson's SFPD records, no surprise there. Maybe Zhao has the city by the bay on lockdown, but her power doesn't appear to extend to certain correctional facilities. I found Erickson's case files at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville. Pookie leaned back, shocked. The CMF? The same place they kept Charlie Manson and Juan Vallejo Corona? Yeah, as well as Ed, the co-ed butcher Kemper, and Keys the deadly Dutch Maurice. Jeb Jr. was declared unfit to stand trial, so they incarcerated him in the last stop for serial killers. They put him away 28 years ago. After 18 months of incarceration, a certain Baldwin Metz uncovered new forensic evidence that wound up overturning the murder charge. Erickson walked out a free man. That would have put him back on the street just over 26 years ago right about the time Amy Zhao and Rich Verde put a whoopin' on Mr. Bizness. A knock on his door. Burns, my Kung Pao is here. Daddy needs coal for the choo-choo. Anything else? That's all I've got, he said. I'll keep lookin', though. Pookie out! He folded the phone, grabbed his wallet, and opened the door. Standing there was a uniformed Amy Zow. Oh, shit. Chief, Pookie said. I know budgets are tight, but moonlighting is a delivery boy. Inspector Chang, she said, then walked inside. Shut the door. We need to talk. She looked as neat and pressed as she did in her office at the hall. Pookie looked at the clock on his wall. 9.07 p.m. Did this woman ever put on a friggin' pair of jeans? He shut the door. He suddenly thought of Mr. Bizness's thrice-broken nose. His eyes flicked to the polished gun holster hanging from Zhao's polished belt. His gun was in the bedroom, and he was wearing nothing but a towel. Awesome. Zhao brushed off Pookie's couch, then sat. Her eyes bore into him. I told you to leave it alone. Pookie thought of lying, but why bother? She wasn't here for a slap and tickle. Chief, we know about Marie's children. We know you deleted the symbols out of the database. We know you ripped up case files. We know you took all the Golden Gate slasher info out of the newspaper morgue. She crossed her legs. The law doesn't care about knowledge, Chang. It cares about proof. You have none. She was right, and it pissed him off to no end. How could she be so callous about it? So casual? We know about the Z chromosome. She smiled. Do you even know what that means? Not really. Neither do I, she said. But it doesn't matter, because that information went the way of the computer records and the newspaper articles. Pookie shook his head. This woman disgusted him. How do you justify letting a vigilante run free, above the law, murdering whoever he thinks did something wrong? How can you look your daughters in the eye when you kiss them goodnight? The mention of her daughters hit a chord. Her eyes narrowed in anger. She stood. How can I justify it? Because I saw the bodies. Her hands balled up into fists. A lifetime's worth of repressed rage seemed to explode. Have you ever seen a half-eaten six-year-old? No? Well, I have, Chang. Dozens of them. Have you ever seen an entire family of five gutted, their intestines used to make art? Have you ever seen a row of severed heads in different stages of decomposition? The fucking trophies of a psycho killer the cops couldn't find? The outburst left him speechless. So much for the stone-eyed Chief Zhao. She vibrated with anger. Well, Chang, have you? He shook his head. Until you have, don't judge me, you got that? And I don't have to justify anything to you. I am the goddamn San Francisco chief of the goddamn police. I'm sworn to protect this city, and that's exactly what I do. This saves lives, and you are trying your best to fuck that up. She stopped suddenly, her lips curled back, her chest heaving. Pookie had never heard her raise her voice let alone blow up like this. She made Brian look positively sane by comparison. Zhao opened her hands, let them fall to her sides. The cold expression returned. Sometimes, Cheng, the right thing isn't written in the law books. We don't get to make that decision, he said. Cops enforce the laws. We don't pick and choose which ones count. She shook her head and laughed. Oh, oh, oh. Jesus, you sound just like I did. Her hand smoothed her coat at her stomach, a motion to help her regain control rather than to adjust her uniform. I'll give you one thing, she said. I'll give you this one thing, then you never speak of it again. You know about Ericsson, don't you? Pookie nodded. Yeah. He was committed for murder. Sal paused, seemed to think her words through. Then look something up for me. Oh, pardon me, have John Smith look it up for you. Tell him to analyze San Francisco's murder rate when Erickson was in the asylum. And by the way, you're fired. What? She held out her hand. Gun and badge. Fuck you! I warned you. You're done. So is Klauser. Now give me your gun and your badge. Pookie remembered the look of rage on Brian's face when Zhao had confronted them over Blackbeard's body. Remembered it because Pookie knew he now probably wore that very same expression. He walked to a tray he kept next to his TV. He picked up his badge and its leather billfold and tossed it to her. She caught it, put it in her pocket. And the gun, she said. No, actually, just tell me where the gun is. Nightstand, next to my bed. She walked into the bedroom. He'd imagined getting the chief into his bedroom more times than he could count, but not this way. Fired? Brian was going to shit an egg roll. Zhao walked back into the living room, then stopped and stared at him. Step away from the door, Cheng. He realized he was blocking her path. He stepped aside, giving her plenty of room. She opened the door, made it halfway out before she turned. You and Klausa are finished in San Francisco. Bay Area as well. Let's just go ahead and say all of Northern California. But with one phone call, I can get you both homicide jobs in any city in the country. Think about where you'd like to go. That's what you get from me if you stop all this bullshit and stay away from Ericsson. And if we don't, then maybe you should look into employment as a prison guard, she said. Because that's the only way you're going to see Brian Klauser again. She stepped out, then shut the door quietly behind her. Well, this had turned into one gigantic Mongolian clusterfuck. Fired. What was next, a bullet in the back of his head? He didn't have a shred of proof to go against her. No matter what he and Brian said, it was their word against hers. Who would she have on her side? Only a chief medical examiner who the world thought walked on water, the assistant chief of police, and the goddamn mayor. What could Pookie counter with? An overly lethal homicide inspector, a medical examiner who would be portrayed as coveting the CME's job, and willing to discredit him to get it, and a computer nerd who was afraid of his own shadow and should have left the Force years ago. Zhao held all the cards. She also held his gun. Pookie reached behind the TV, felt for his backup, and found it. He pulled the Glock 22 holster off its Velcro strips. At least he was armed again. It was over. Amy Zhao had won. She had gotten away with it and would continue to do so. Pookie had to break the news to Brian and hope Brian didn't go apeshit crazy in the process. Maybe some extra info could take the edge off. Something to put a positive spin on this turd in a punch bowl of a situation. What had Zhao told him to look up? Oh, right. The murder rate when Erickson was in the loony bin. Whatever that was, maybe it could help make things more palatable. Pookie-dialed Black Mr. Burns. And where the fuck was that Kung Pao shrimp? You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment.